You're listening to a University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences podcast. Horace Bartolo is an associate professor in the Department of Political Science and the International Studies program. For about a decade, Bartolo has been studying the political, economic, and social consequences of illicit trafficking. In this podcast, Bartolo describes some of his findings, including how drug enforcement policies affect crime rates and how governments can ensure better adherence to human trafficking laws. How long have you been here at UK? Since 1995. I was hired to basically teach and research international political economy, which I'll just refer to as IPE from now on. I'm working on a book in parts. The first one is entitled Drugs, Guns, Money, and Sex, The Political Economy of Global Cooperative Regimes, you know, which is... um, for trade and finance. What I'm studying is how effective are these cooperative arrangements to stop prohibitive trade. And I argue and I show in terms of the the articles that I've I've published on this, in terms of drug trafficking, it is very ineffective because illicit transactions are underground by by nature, right? They're illegal. Um, And so it's very difficult to know if other parties and countries are cooperating. Okay, they could say they're cooperating, but they could also cheat. So it's very difficult to monitor if these arrangements or parties to these arrangements are actually holding up their end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And so I apply that argument to anti-drug trafficking cooperative arrangements uh, in terms of interdiction. What happens when two countries decide, okay, we're going to cooperate to interdict the smuggling of of drugs on the high seas. And it's very difficult to to know if country A is cooperating or is shirking their responsibilities. Um, and I saw it, I, you know, developed this sort of a theoretical model using game theory. I ran some, collected some data and ran some statistical analysis and indeed, indeed find that there was a shirking going on. Then after that, I started and I said, okay, I wonder if there's evidence of this in different types of trafficking. Even if governments agree to have the similar money laundry legislation, it still won't be very, very effective because they're asking bankers to implement anti-money laundry rules. So in this case, the states are the principals and the bankers are the agents. So the principal is asking the agent to implement policies that is taking money out of their pockets. Now, are they likely to do it? Well, you can't tell a government to go take a hike, so they will probably do it and shirk. <laughs> so that's the pattern. Yeah, that's the pattern. Yeah. If you have a, a DEA office, because you know the DEA would have offices and operations in some countries and, and not in others, you get some variation. But in those countries that have that have that that run counter narcotic operations with, with the DEA, it increased crime in every single measure. There are pharmacological reasons why. The first one is that you confiscate drugs. That pushes up the price. I'm going to say, man, I, I can't get my cocaine fixed now at $50 a hit. I'm just going to, I don't know, I'll go smoke tobacco. No. If I can't get my 
fix at $50. I am going to rob you, steal your car, break into your house, steal your flat screen TV to sell your stuff to get the money to pay for the drugs that the government now artificially push, pushes up to $50 a hit. So that's how you get more crime. Yeah. Changes in the price of it is not going to is not going to reduce the demand for it. So indirectly, law enforcement is increasing crime. <laughs> um, so that's one. The other reason is when enforcement jacks up the price of cocaine and other addictive drugs, now you make it more valuable on the, on the drug market. And so now drug gangs have every incentive to fight over turf. And arresting traffickers, that doesn't help. And because the drug industry is so lucrative, he's easily replaced by another trafficker who has to be more violent than the guy you put in prison. Unfortunately, the DEA is very, and, and the American government is very slow to learn. They have a very low learning curve. And they figured that out recently with all the violence that is going on in Mexico, the beheadings and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's largely because they disrupted the market for the past three or four years by taking out a couple of major drug kingpins. Mm-hmm. So I could have told them exactly what would happen. So the question is, what are possible solutions? Are we just... Basically, are we just stuck with this, I guess you could call it, it's called a collection action problem. Market mechanisms might be a way of providing incentives not to shirk. The more source countries liberalize trade is the more likely they are to interdict cocaine before it gets to the consuming countries in the the United States. Now, 40% of the world's cocaine is consumed right here in the United States. We should encourage countries in the Western Hemisphere to liberalize. Because the more they liberalize, is the better they have the, the economic tools to stop the flow of, of drugs before they get to our border. And uh, the paper that I did on human trafficking emphasized uh, Democratization might also be a way to provide incentives to uh, combat trafficking. In countries that have increasing number of women, increasing percentage of women who hold cabinet level positions in their governmental bureaucracies, it increases the likelihood that these countries are more likely to comply with the minimum rules international rules to combat human trafficking. So I have some evidence that greater democratization, especially the gendering of the political process. In other words, women matter. It's also interesting that when I reran the analysis and look at just men, they're less likely to comply. And so I think the question is, you know, who are the customers of human traffickers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so now the second part of the book, I'm working on some evidence, some arguments that maybe greater attention to market mechanisms and greater democratization, is more specifically the, the gendering of politics, might be a way to provide the kinds of incentives to combat the natural tendency to shirk in prohibitive cooperative arrangements. 
Thanks for listening, and thanks to the College of Arts and Sciences, the Department of Political Science, and the International Studies Program for making this podcast possible.